0: Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning to the end. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. and the ruler of the kings of earth, on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From the, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, Those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Joshua.
1: Father, we want to say thank you for your word and we ask you to bless the reading of it. Let the blessings that we see in this opening words of this chapter be present with us this morning. We ask for your help and your goodness. Lord Jesus, you have revealed something. Let us see it. You have spoken something. And Lord Jesus, I pray you would let us hear it. Let us not miss anything that you have planned for your children to know or see or understand. So give us understanding and by your Spirit, I pray that you would apply to our souls and our lives all the blessings that come from faith in you and including the saving blessings of eternal life. But Lord, the present inner healing that comes from your spirit being at work within us. There are those in this room who need inner healing. Lord, we need to be mended. Our souls and emotions and minds are wounded, and I pray that your blessings would be upon that inner work that only you can do. And so, Lord Jesus, as the Lord and King of heaven, would you be honored among us this morning and would you let your word bear fruit in our hearts. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to have your Bible open or your device open to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we are uh, spending our time making our way through uh, the book of the, uh, the, the New Testament, the entirety of the New Testament, in a series called Empty and the Why uh, stands for the yet-to-come, uh, and it has to do with this uh, portion of the, the last section of the New Testament, which is the book of Revelation. And so we are um, looking today at this yet-to-come portion. We'll spend two weeks on this, but here is the, uh, the first portion today. We will, uh, Lord willing, get through the first 11 chapters this week, and next week we will look at the last 11 chapters. That's what we're, we're aiming at. And so let me just go back to these first two verses and read them again to get them before us. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So the first three words um, in this letter is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The Greek word apocalypsis uh, means to reveal. It's the first word of this letter. So you've heard of the apocalypse. This is it. Uh, It simply is a Greek word that means to uncover or to reveal, uh, to disclose fully. And so it's just translated as revelation. Um, but this is um, interesting because what do we see revealed here in these opening words? The revelation of whom? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is intended to reveal Jesus that the focus of what we're going to see in Revelation is that, that Jesus is disclosing himself through this book, this letter. It's the revelation of Jesus. This is about Jesus. It is both, he's both the subject matter that is being disclosed and he's the means by which this disclosure is happening. Because we see God the Father... Gave this revelation to Jesus who then gave it to John by commanding an angel, go help him see this. Essentially is what's happened. But this is a revelation of Jesus. Don't miss that. So today, as we move through these 11 chapters, that's what we're going to focus on. And what I'm going to invite you to keep before your mind is the person of Jesus is being revealed here. And what we're going to see in these pages is this is the self-disclosure of Jesus. with something he wants you to know. And how many of you have, you come to the book of Revelation and you'll notice it's singular, it's not plural, it's not multiple revelations, it's one. It is the the revelation of Jesus, one, it's singular because there's one person we're talking about. Now, how many of you have ever come to the book of Revelation and you just like, you get chills up and down your spine and it causes you to break out in hives and you're, I don't even want to read this. I, people getting fights over this kind of stuff. I have no idea what's going on here. Um, that's okay. There's blessing here. Did you see that? No other book of the Bible opens up with this promise. Verse three, blessed are those who read this. Blessed are those who understand this. Blessed are those who do this. Do you need blessing? Anybody in the room? Yes, absolutely. Right? We all need blessing. So if you want some blessing, I invite you, jump into this book. Jump in it and read it. It's not impossible to understand. It's confusing. It'll make you scratch your head. That is for sure. And yet, there is blessing to be had. And one of the things that is astounding to me is, What we see is God the Father gave this revelation to who? To Jesus. Nobody else. And Jesus then passed it on to John. And we see there is a purpose. His intention is to show his servants all of the things that must soon take place. So this John, this is one of the 12 apostles, one of the 12 disciples whom Jesus called the apostles. uh, One of Jesus' three closest friends is this John. And so he, G- God, sent, Jesus sends an angel to help John understand this and to reveal what must soon take place. And Jesus reveals this to John. And I was reminded as, we're, as I was thinking about this verse, when Jesus was last with his disciples, um, he says to them, I'm telling you what I'm doing because I, you're my friends. He said, a master doesn't tell his servant anything he's doing. But I'm telling you what I'm doing. This was on the night before his crucifixion. He said, I'm telling you what I'm doing because you're my friends. So Jesus is revealing all of this to his children, his servants, but he actually is communicating a depth of revelation and friendship and love that ought to move you to tears this morning. As we see Jesus disclosing not only himself, but what is about to take place, we see Jesus, he's like pulling his heart out and saying, I want you to see what is happening within me. He's revealing himself to us through John. So there is blessing. So invite that blessing and and jump in. Now he writes, he tells us to whom he's writing. In verse 4, we see that John is the author. He's writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is the western portion of what is today Turkey, and there are seven churches that are named. Seven is a number of completion. Um, So don't take away from this. This, Jesus, he only cares about those seven churches. He didn't care about Hope Christian Church. He didn't care about any of the other churches. That's not the point. Right, Seven is a number that you're going to see it everywhere in this book. We're going to see today seven letters. We are going to see a scroll that has seven seals. The final seal is going to be unfolded with seven angels proclaiming with seven trumpets. Seven is going to be elsewhere. Next week, we're going to jump into seven bowls. So seven is a number of completion. And these seven churches stand for all of God's people. All churches that Jesus cares for and loves. So don't think about this. Well, it's only for them. It's not for us. No, that's not the point. Jesus is concerned about all of his churches, but he writes to these seven. And so John is, is the author. And we see in verse 10, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is Today. It's Sunday, The Lord's day is the day Jesus rose from the dead. And so John is in the spirit. He's worshiping. He's surrounded by the spirit of God. He's praying. He's doing all kinds of things. And suddenly the spirit of God reveals this to him. And so we see he's, he's, he's a partner in tribulation. Verse 9, which gives us a hint. This is written in a season of difficulty. Um, at, he says, I'm on the island of Patmos, which is on that uh, about 35 miles to the west west off of the coast of Turkey. It, it was used by the Romans in the same way that Australia was used by the British as a, a place of exile for political prisoners. And so John, he tells us here, because of the word of God and the testimony in verse 9, he's been exiled. He has been sent off to this island uh, he, for the, because of his testimony in Jesus. And, and so we know, when was this written? Church history tells us that this was probably written, Irenaeus says, at the end of of the reign of Domitian, which ended in A.D. ninety six, so Domitian was the youngest son of Vespasian, who we met last week, and he is um, he proclaimed himself as a deity, and he demanded to be worshipped as Lord and God, and anyone who would refuse to worship him as Lord and God could suffer confiscation of property. Physical beating, exile, like John apparently experienced, or even death. So John has probably refused to worship Domitian. He's probably refused to worship the statue of Domitian, and he has been exiled because of his refusal. The stubborn Christians, they only worship Jesus. May that always be the case. Never give in. And so today, what are we going to do? We're going to look at the first, we're going to look at three scenes. Um, This essentially, the book of Revelation divides nicely into two portions. Today, we're going to look at three scenes. The first three chapters, we're going to see Jesus as the, the, the lover and the Lord of his churches. Uh, the second three chapters I mean f- chapters four and five we 're going to pull that back a little and see into heaven, and we will see Jesus worshipped as the sovereign Lord and uh, the the lion of Judah and the lamb who was sacrificed and then the, the from chapter six until eleven what we 're going to see is Jesus revealed as the only just judge who can judge the earth and unfold God's plan of judgment. So this first portion, the sovereign Lord and lover of his church, that's what we see because we are told, John says this in verse 5, this is the one who loves us. What what I'm revealing to you, and you you can see that, right? To him who loves us, be honor and glory and praise. This is Jesus. John begins this letter by revealing something about Jesus that he wants you to know. This guy loves us. He is a person who loves his churches. And then he begins to write this letter. So verse 11. Write this, what you see in a book. Send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and every church, all of his churches. Jesus loves his churches and so write to them because I want them to know something. John, this is a vision, so this is a a disclosure. John is praying, he's in the spirit, he hears a voice behind him and then he turns to see who is speaking to him, and then in verses 13 to 17, this is what we get. Read it with me. I mean, I'll read it. You just read along with me. Uh, One, he sees this lampstand. Siri's talking to me. Be quiet, Siri. Sorry about that. One like the son of man clothed with the long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like wool, were white like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters, and in his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like shining a sun in full strength, and when I saw him, I fell down like a dead man. Who is he talking about? He is talking about the the lamb who died. He is talking about Jesus. Is that the picture of Jesus you have? When you kneel down to pray, do you see some meek little Middle Eastern man? Or do you see a mighty, wizened warrior who has white hair, eyes like flame, mouth with a sword coming out of it, It powerful like the roar of oceans, many waters, and then this golden sash indicating the royalty, feet like burnished bronze, the effect it had on John was he almost passed out. When you pray, who are you praying to? When you pray in the name of Jesus, are you praying to someone you think Maybe you can do something about this. I, I don't know. You know? Jesus, could you can you, you know, do a little tweaking or who are you praying to? Who is this risen Lord of our lives? He is mighty. He has a voice like many waters. He, John is paralyzed when he sees the Lord Jesus. That that image shape, he, he doesn't have dark hair, he's white with wisdom and, and, and severity. He is intensely powerful. This is the Jesus who is revealed to us, and he loves. He is a lover. He loves his churches, and I know he does because it tells us so in the first church and the last church, love is the issue. This whole section, Jesus now speaks to seven churches. So he's going to speak and give a message to seven churches. I sort of wish we could sort of read through them all. You'll fall asleep. God, he says something good about them, and then he encourages them, and he corrects them. And so, for example, in chapter 2, the first church is the church at Ephesus. He's, he's, you're doing well. You're really doing good about some things, but this I have against you, verse 4, you have abandoned the love that you, ha- you had from the first so remember, therefore, the, where, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works at first. What is he saying to this church? You used to love me, and, and you don't anymore. You have wandered away. You have forgotten the passion of when you were first saved. When we first met, and you wanted to talk about me all the time, and you couldn't keep your mouth shut, and your family got ticked off because you're talking about Jesus all the time? Where is that? And I can't help but ask, where's your first love? What what is the deepest love of your heart? Is it this resurrected Jesus? Or or is, is this just something we do and Jesus doesn't move you? Jesus wants you to be moved. He says, remember where you used to be in relation to me and go back. Do what you did at the beginning. Return to that first love is what he says. So Jesus calls his church to a a passionate return to him. And this is almost the same thing that he says at the very end, the last church. Yes, Laodicea um, in verse this is chapter 3 now, so flip some pages. You're gonna, we're just going to walk through this book, by the way. This whole letter, we're going to move through it, so keep scrolling or flipping your pages. And, but he says, verse 19, verse, uh, chapter 3, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Here, he begins with love, and he ends with love. Do you feel loved when someone corrects you? Jesus is saying here, I'm calling you to alter your behavior. It is because I love you. I want you to repent of some things because we need, Jesus is holy, holy, holy. He will not long tolerate sin. You cannot cling to sin and Jesus at the same time. You're going to be pulled apart. So let go of whatever sin you're so easily entangled with. Fight with all of your might to let go of sin and love Jesus with all that is within you. That's the calling of the Christian life. It is to increasingly learn and experience the sweetness of Jesus and the insufficiency of sin. And sin always will disappoint you will always keep you in broken relationships, always keep you wounded. And so here's Jesus in these seven letters to these seven churches saying, "You, I'm here because I love you. I want you to love me. So return to me with all of your heart. Be zealous and repent. So what's the summary that we see in these first three chapters? It is Jesus as the sovereign Lord. And I say sovereign because at the very beginning, Jesus is pictured as holding these stars in his hand. And the stars are represented by angels who appear to have been assigned as representatives in heaven for each of those churches. And Jesus, where does he have them? In his hand. Church, you are in the hand of Jesus. He's not some distant savior who does not care about your, the details of your life. He has his people in his hand. He's sovereign and he loves you. He didn't have you there to squish you, squeeze the life out of you and keep you from enjoying all the good stuff in the world. He is holding you there like, like you would hold a little tiny bird who fell out of a nest until you can get your feathers on and get your wings and figure out his purpose for your life. He is protecting you He loves us. So that is the Jesus who is revealed in these first three chapters. He is a sovereign Lord, and he's a lover of his church. And the second vision we see in chapters 4 to 5 is Jesus as a lion and a lamb worshipped in heaven. Chapters 4 to 5. So John takes us now away from earth, and he catapults us, as it were, into heaven and this scene is Jesus is both the lion of Judah, we will see, he is worshiped as, and also the lamb who has sacrificed himself in order to purchase people from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. So this is what John sees. He, he, he see, he, behind him, he sees a door in this vision and through the doorway, he looks into this door and he sees the, the throne of God in heaven and around that throne are 24 other thrones and the elders are sitting on those thrones and he hears lightning, he hears rumblings, he hears peals of thunder uh, and remember, what this is like what happens when God shows up. If you think about um, the mountain of Mount Horeb in Exodus chapter 19, when God descended on the mountain, there were rumblings and people freaked out and said, Moses, you Go talk to him. We'll stay back here where it's safe, right? This is this is what we John sees. And he sees into heaven, and these twenty four elders are worshiping. So four eight, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And then the twenty four elders fall on their faces and they say, "Worthy are you." In verse eleven of chapter four, "Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they." Existed and were created. So this is what John sees through this little doorway, and he's drawn in to this vision. So picture it, picture the throne of God, and seeing him sitting on the throne with this surrounding, this little worship scene surrounding them, and then what we see is John notices that in God's hand, he has a scroll, and it is a scroll with seven seals, And what do you think of seals? The wax that used to seal ancient letters before we licked them and sticked them, we heated them and smashed them, is what used to happen. So these letters are sealed, and there's seven seals on it. John notices this in God's hand, and he's wondering, what is this seal? What's this this scroll? And, And all of a sudden, another angel loudly proclaims, okay, interesting footnote. When, if, you, if you're bold enough, you want to read through the book of Revelation, which there's great blessings, so you ought to want to. If you read through it, count how many times you hear the word loudly or with a mighty voice. It's astonishing. Heaven is not a quiet place. It redounds with praise. And for those of us who, if you don't like loud music, you're going to have to get used to it in heaven. I think we'll have some perfect ears so, I mean, I have to have, hear- I pull my hearing aids out, you know, in certain circumstances. And, and this is one of those. Heaven redounds with, there's loud stuff happening all the time. So count all of the loudness and the powerful voices that are, are spoken of as you read through this. And by the way, we have, we have decided to do an experiment. Um, you know this blessing that I just talked about that we see in the, in the first chapters? Uh, blessing for listening to it being read and understanding. We tried an experiment. During the nine o'clock hour, we listened to Scripture. Being read, uh, chapters 1 to 11. We just went downstairs and just listened to all 11 chapters being read. Next Sunday, if you want to get crazy and come back at 9 o'clock, we're going to listen to 12 through 22. Um, Very loudly. It was loud down there. In fact, David Gonzalez said, Todd, get the volume, turn that down a little bit. So heaven's loud, David. It's biblical. So (laughs) an angel steps up and he says, "Uh, Who can break the seals? We, we need to figure out what's inside this. Who can do this? And evidently search went out and no one in all of heaven or on earth or under the earth or in the seas were found who was worthy. Not a soul, a being, or a creature in all of created order was found. And poor John starts crying loudly, I might add, verse 4, he, and, but he weeps because no one is worthy. I want to know what's in the scroll. It's like a little kid. You're holding this sack. I want to know what's in there. So let's figure it out. I mean, nobody can open that. And he starts weeping. And then one of the elders taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, look. Verse 5, weep no more. Behold, look, look, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So this this lion of Judah takes us back to Genesis, I think chapter 49 or so, when Jacob was on his deathbed and he pronounced a blessing on all of his seven sons, a (laughs) 12, seven's a perfect number, 12, and he pronounces a blessing. He says, Judah, from Judah will come a lion-like leader who will reign. And the scepter, the, the, his, the sig- signifying his rule, will never perish, will never pass away. He will reign forever. This is, this is that connection. So here we are, back at Genesis. Now, in our minds, the lion of the tribe of Judah that Jacob spoke about a long time ago, the root of David, the one who supported King David, who was also a fulfillment of God's prophecy, he is the one who is now standing here before you so John stop crying he it's okay there is a way for us to discover what is written here but there's only one person the lion of the tribe of Judah when John looks he says I looked and behold there was a lamb standing there as if it had been slain in verse 6 so this of course is Jesus the wound, he says, I, it looked like he had been dead. So the wounds of Christ Jesus are visible. This is the, the nail prints in his hand from his crucifixion. The, the holes in his feet, the, the sword where his side was ripped open, that's visible. We can see those wounds of Christ in heaven. And he realizes he, he's alive, but he looks like he used to be dead. And he is the lamb. So Jesus is both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who has suffered. Sacrifice himself in order to pay for the sins of all eternity. And when this happens, this lamb alone who is worthy, he steps up to the throne of God and he takes that scroll from the right hand of God and then everybody, the 24 elders, break out singing a new song in 9 and 10. Chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them the kingdom of priests of our God and they shall reign forever. The... the, There's four living creatures who also joined these 24 elders in singing that song. And evidently it had a catchy tune and it caught on. And then suddenly the next scene, all of heaven, myriads and myriads of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels suddenly begin singing. And they sing this loudly, we are told, in uh, verses 12 and 13. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. That's what heaven declares. One day, we're we're gonna join that choir. The children of God and the people of God are gonna join in that great song. And so this scene, chapter four and five, what do we see? We see Jesus is revealed as the lamb who sacrificed himself in order to purchase An objective reality, a payment was made to secure people from every tribe and nation and people and tongue, but not just a little meek lamb who laid down his life, a lion whose voice sounds like mighty waters. So he is both, and heaven worships him alone as being worthy. So that's the second scene. Now the third scene, and this one is the longest. It is chapter 6 to 11. It is Jesus being the just judge of all of the earth. What we see from chapter 6 to 11 is Jesus is now the judge who unfolds the wrath of God, and it has to do with that scroll that is in God's hand with the seven seals. Now, as, the, as we see the scroll and these seven seals, so picture in your mind a little scroll with seven seals on it, and it's going to progressively be unrolled, and each wax seal is going to be broken, and one through seven, and as, as those seals are broken, measured wrath of God goes out and it intensifies in its severity from every progressive seal. Starts out small and then moves to greater and greater severity so that the seventh seal is the most severe and it concludes with seven different angels blowing seven different trumpets which also expand God's wrath. And it will eventually conclude with the seventh, uh, seventh trumpet. So seven seals, and then the seventh seal has seven trumpets, okay? You got the scene. So let's, let's open them up. Chapter six. The first seal, when Jesus opens, the lamb opens this seal, we are told that a white horse goes out. His rider has a bow. He's wearing a crown, so he has been given authority. And we are told he goes out conquering and to conquer, and that's all we're told on this first seal. So the white horse, if you're wondering, the four horses of the apocalypse, this is it. There's, there's not gonna be four horses that we're gonna see. This is the first one, the white horse. In verses three and four, the second seal, Jesus opens the second seal and calls forth a bright red horse. He and his rider are given permission to remove peace from the earth so that people start killing each other. Peace is removed by this rider. and That's the second seal. So now Jesus pops open the third seal, and in the third seal, a black horse goes out, and this rider has a pair of scales in his hand. He is given power to disrupt economic systems and to cause inflation to rise, particularly in grain and wheat prices. Inflation rises eight to ten times, according to this measurement here that we're given. Uh, However, prices of oil and wine remain stable, so it's a measured unfolding of the wrath of God and judgment of God. Some things explode, become very expensive. Others remain stable. The third seal then, Jesus opens, sorry, the fourth seal uh, is a pale horse whose rider is death. This is verse 7 and 8. And he is followed by Hades. This rider is given authority to kill a fourth of the population of the earth by sword and pestilence or plagues, famine and wild animals. Today's population, according to one little resource that I checked on yesterday, is 7.9 billion. Let's just round up and say eight billion people. So if a a fourth of them are to die, that's two billion people. Imagine the death of two billion people. A fourth of the planet dies, that's incredible. And so that is, is what happens on the third, again, things are intensifying, things are getting worse and worse. The fifth seal, verses 9 to 11, we we again turn our attention away from earth and this scene unfolds in heaven where the souls of those who we are told who have been slain, been killed for the word of God and their witness have cried out and they say, oh sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood? They're crying out for justice. Lord, how long are you going to be gracious? When are you going to bring the full measure of judgment? And we are told, they are are told to be quiet and rest a little while longer, and they are given a white robe. Wait until the number of your fellow servants is fulfilled. Meaning there's a particular number of, of people who will be martyred for the faith, and when that number is fulfilled, then the end comes. So God has a measured Sovereignty that unfolds with his people. And some will be executed. Some of us will lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. Jesus said this, right? Some of you, they will kill. But not a hair of your head will perish because we have faith in the Lord Jesus. So then the sixth seal, verses 12 to 17. Jesus opens the sixth seal. It caused an earthquake. The sun and moon were darkened. Stars fell to the sky. The sky vanished. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. The earth is completely shaken. Nothing is unaffected. And we are told everyone, whether high or low, are terrified, and they know it is the wrath of the Lamb. It is known who's in control of all of this. So everybody who's experiencing all of this cataclysmic kind of events understand that it is the wrath of the Lamb who is in charge. And now we have a, a bit of a pause button in chapter seven. There is a, a bit of an interlude. so this is the the sixth seal has just been opened. so before the seventh seal, we now see something of the love of the Savior who we've just talked about, he now prepares and protects his people to endure this final seal. So some are still around. This, this uh, chapter 7 involves the sealing or the protection of God's people. So the sovereign land protects his people with a seal. Another angel comes out. Uh, four angels begin this scene by stopping the wind. There's no wind on earth. And you know, you think, that's not a big deal, but you think about summertime with no wind and, and no cool breeze to blow, no wind on the face of the whole planet. That's, that's terrible. I, I can't sleep without a fan. So if there's no wind, I'm, I'm not going to get any sleep. And here this no wind is stopped. And, and an angel then it, it says, do not harm any of God's people until they are sealed with this seal. And so he goes out and seals on the foreheads of God's people and the first half of chapter 7 represents ethnic Israel where we are told that 12,000 from every tribe is sealed or protected but then also from an incalculable number from every tribe and nation and people and tongue are also sealed. So not only ethnic Israel but also Gentile believers are protected at this time. You also get a little conversation at the end of chapter 7 in which one of the elders speaks with John and he says, do you know who, there's a celebration that happens after this protection, heaven celebrates, God's protecting his people, and an elder says to John, do you know who these people are who are celebrating? He goes, I'm sure you do. Uh, You know, and he says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Now, that's a phrase which is filled with controversy, and I won't go too deeply into it, but I want you to know it's here, and how to understand that is a matter of uh, a little bit of controversy, but that's that's where the language comes from, this, this great tribulation, this intense persecution, and so now we're ready for the seventh seal to be broken. So chapter eight, when the lamb opens the seventh seal, there is silence in heaven for a half an hour. There is time in heaven. God is not outside of time. There is time in heaven. He's simply not bound by it or constrained by it. But as this final seal, this is the worst one, is about to be unfolded, there's a half an hour of silence. And I, I, that's astonishing, isn't it? All singing stops. Everything goes quiet before this final unfolding of the last phase of God's wrath. I think it has to do, well, why would that be, right? Well, if heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to salvation, what happens when judgment is going to be unfolded, which will condemn many, which will consign people to eternity in hell? Heaven gets quiet. I think this says, this is serious. Heaven is hell is, is at stake in what is happening here. And so there is 30 minutes of silence. And then after that, seven angels come to uh, before God's throne and they are each given a trumpet. And now the seventh seal is broken. This is going to, every successive wave of uh, judgment is going to be announced by a trumpet. And so the first one in verse Seven, the first angel blew his trumpet, hail and fire mixed together with blood are thrown to the earth and it results in the third of the earth being burnt up, a third of the trees are destroyed and all of the grass are destroyed on earth. That's the first trumpet. The second trumpet, second angel, blows his trumpet. And then we're told something like a great mountain comes down burning like a torch out of the sky and it crashes into the ocean. It creates a tsunami that destroys a third of the ships, a third of the ocean is turned to blood, and a third of everything in the ocean dies. And imagine, again, what that would be like. And you should be asking yourself, am I... I, want to make sure I live through this. I want to make sure I am with this sovereign Lord. I want to make sure He is my Savior and, and to deliver me. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, there is a way to escape all of this judgment, and it is through faith in the Lord Jesus. Because John chapter 3 tells us the love of this Savior, for love God sent His Son to this earth, and because of the love that the son had for the father, he laid down his life so that we would be saved from our sins to escape the condemnation that will come for all of those who refuse to acknowledge that ultimate sacrifice. So so there is a way for us to avoid the punishment that will come. This is certain. These things must soon take place, we are told at the beginning. And so the gospel presents a way of salvation for us to know this God who is loving and who is also very just he's it's right there so that, that second angel uh, the second trumpet blows his the second angel blows his trumpet crashes into the ocean the sea is affected uh, ships are, are turned over and then all of the a third of the sea creatures die now the third angel blows his third trumpet and a great star called wormwood falls to the earth it crashes and pollutes all of the uh, rivers and springs of water, or a third of them, not all of them, a third of them. So again, measured wrath. There's still some that are good, and yet some, a third of them are poisoned. Many people die as a result of this poison. Fourth angel then blows his fourth trumpet. The sun, moon, and stars are all darkened by one-third. One-third of the light goes out both at day and night. Everything goes dim. Then the fifth angel blows the fifth trumpet and we are told that a star falls from heaven and this star falls to a what is called the abyss, the bottomless pit, and he is given a key. So this star is a he who unlocks a key to the lid of the bottomless pit. And this when this shaft is opened, a, a thick smoke rises up out of this shaft and it carries with it locusts who then uh, are granted power to torment for five months those who have not been sealed. So the, the protection that is over the people of God keeps them from this particular torment. And yet here, these, these these locusts with a powerful sting, like a sting of a scorpion, are unleashed on unbelievers and they attack them for five months. But their sting is not fatal. Even though people cry out and beg and plead to be allowed to die, they are not allowed to die. They must suffer this pain. And we're also told that a ruler over these locusts, who is the angel of the bottomless pit, which may or may not be Satan, it might be a different angel, or this may actually be him, he is called Abaddon in Hebrew, which means destruction. He is called Apollyon in Greek, which also means destroyer. Um, So he is given this power over these locusts for five months. They have their, and then after the five months, their time is up. And then we are told the first woe has passed. Now we're coming to the, the sixth trumpet. We're almost to the conclusion. The sixth angel blows his trumpet, and a pronouncement of four angels is called out from the Euphrates river. They've been prepared for this day and month and hour to go and kill a third of mankind. They accomplish this by two hundred million mounted cavalry. Uh, so again, this is they go out and they kill two billion people. So the Earth's population has now been reduced by fifty percent, effectively. Um, they have horses heads but heads like lions they breathe out fire and sulfur and smoke and they have serpent like tails by which they can sting and again wound but not kill and yet two billion people are died and many many others suffer and the wrath of the lamb again is known and people in you, you might think wouldn't everybody just like say Jesus save me no they don't They they refuse to repent. Acts tells us repentance is granted. Repentance is a gift from God that he grants. And by the time all of this has unfolded, people who have refused to repent, which this is a calling for us, when the Lord moves you, don't resist him because here they are not allowed to repent. Repent. Even though previously up to this point, there's been a call and a command to repent many times, time and time again. By this time, there's no granting of repentance. And so they refuse to repent. We then have a little interlude when we get to chapter 10. And, and this, a little scroll is given to John and an angel says, I want you to eat that. It'll taste really good, but it's gonna cause you some indigestion. I think what he's saying is, God's word comes, it's good to those who love him, but it is bitter to those who hate him. And, and we pronounce the truth. Some people joyfully receive it, like it is sweet good news, and other people say, you're an absolute idiot, get out of my face. Right, this is two responses to God's word. And, and that's chapter 10. And now we get to chapter 11, which you'll notice we're almost, almost there where we need to be. And this is one of the most difficult chapters in all of the Bible, So more people have thrown theological rocks at one another over this chapter than anything. I don't want anybody throwing theological rocks at me, please. And so here we have two witnesses. So what we see is there is a a presentation of two witnesses. When you know, in order for truth to be established, two witnesses have to be given uh, and stand forth to testify. It's uncertain if these are figurative and to be received symbolically or if these are actually two people who appear. There are good reasons for having both conclusions. And so the two witnesses then are told to prophesy for 1,260 days. Part of the difficulty is this chapter, it connects to Ezekiel, connects to Daniel, goes back to some to Genesis, 1 Kings. There's allusions, there's numbers that are written here, which connect all over the place, so it's hard to understand. But these two witnesses come and invincibly proclaim God's word for a, a season of time. Anybody who tries to kill them, they kill. They are untouchable until they fully complete God's will to their lives. And then when they have finished the testimony, and I think that means they've said everything God has commanded them to say, they are allowed to be killed. And everybody on the planet knows them. And when these two witnesses die, Everybody has a Christmas-like celebration, and they exchange presents. They, they prevent these two witnesses from being buried. They leave them on the streets to be seen by all of the world, it says. And I remember as a kid reading that and thinking, how in the world, how can everybody in all of the world see two people dead in Jerusalem? Cell phones, cameras, TVs, it works, right? It, there, there is a way for this to happen. And, and these two witnesses then lie there for three and a half days, dead. And then suddenly God resurrects them, raises them up, and they ascend into heaven. It's kind of similar to who Christ is. Christ has been resurrected and ascended into heaven. That now is the end of the preparation for the final trumpet, the seventh trumpet. And here we are at the conclusion. Uh, verse 15, the kingdom, when the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet, we find this. The kingdom, this is a declaration, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Everyone, most scholars agree, this is the second coming of Jesus. This is the trumpet that announces when Jesus returns. And so here, this scene is now taking us away from earth and up into heaven. So 11, 17, and 18, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you have taken out your great power and begun to reign the nations raged but your wrath came and the uh, the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding the servants the prophets the saints and those who fear your name both small and great for the destroyers for destroying the destroyers of the earth and that's the conclusion of this scene and so what have we seen this morning First three chapters present Jesus as lover and Lord of his churches. The second scene, verses four and five, reveal he's the lamb who was slain. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the only person worthy of unfolding God's wrath. He alone is to be worshiped and in heaven. And then finally, he is the just judge who measures out all of God's wrath. And so I, I simply ask you a question. Do you love him? do you love him? If the point of the first couple chapters is the love, do you love him? And if you answer honestly and only you know your heart, if the answer is no, I don't, then I would invite you to say, right now, not don't wait till the song is sung, but to say into your heart, Jesus, will you give me that heart? Will you give me a heart that loves you? Will you change me now? At this moment, change me from loving the stuff of this earth and love you. Change me. Somebody asked recently, why don't you guys have altar calls? Because I don't want you to wait until the end to get saved. Get saved now. Pray to, you can, anyone, what does the Bible say? Cry out to the Lord. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven immediately. You have to wait Whenever the Lord speaks to you and moves your heart, respond immediately. What does the psalmist say? Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till 15 minutes later. Confess your sins now. Plead for forgiveness. And the Bible tells us you will grant it. He is that kind of loving Lord. Do you love Him? Secondly, do you worship Him? as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering king, who is all-powerful and all-sovereign. And is he your savior? Do you worship him as a lamb who took your nails, took your spear? Do you love him? Do you worship him? And lastly, you're gonna stand before him. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ is what the Bible says. But if you acknowledge him now as your Lord and surrender your life to him now, he will not condemn you on that day. He will welcome you into his kingdom. But if you delay and you ignore surrendering your life to him and you resist acknowledging this incredible sacrifice of his life, you will meet him as judge and you will be eternally condemned. Condemned and we have family members who are presently under that condemnation don't we maybe some of you in this room i would plead with you as we sing in just a moment we're going to we're going to pray and, and sing to this the savior who has been revealed to us and i invite you surrender your life to him surrender the stuff you want to keep hidden and the lord jesus will give you his spirit he will give you life He will show you that love. He will begin to change you. This is who we have been revealed before our eyes. This is the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need help seeing you. We need eyes to see We need ears to hear. I thank you for your word that promises if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. So Lord Jesus, would you let us see you in all of your glory, your white-haired, full, shining face like the sun in highest brightness Let us see the strength of your arm. Let us hear the power of your voice. And let every one of us who are listening not refuse you, but let us happily surrender to you. And Lord, I pray that you would grant faith to those in this room who need it. Grant the ability to say, Lord Jesus, will you forgive me and cleanse me? And grant the ability to say, Lord Jesus, help me turn away from my secret sin. Help me turn away from greed. Help me turn away from selfishness and pride. And let us see you, Lord Jesus, in all of your glory. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.